welcome to Raven Conversations, the show where we bring you the news and information around the Washington National Guard. I'm Sarah Morris, and on today's episode, Joe and I sit down with Colonel Paul Sellers and Command Sergeant Major Carter Richardson, the command team of the 81st Striker Brigade Combat Team. In this episode, we talk about what the Striker Brigade is and what their vision is for the future, along with how the Striker Brigade has contributed to all of the various responses we've endured this year. Enjoy! Bigfoot country is earthquake country. If an earthquake were to happen right now, what would you do? When you feel the ground shaking, drop, cover, and hold on. Do not run or you may be injured by things falling. Remember, if you are near the ocean, the ground shaking is your warning that a tsunami may be coming. After the shaking stops, move to high ground and stay there. Make sure to listen to local emergency officials. Have enough supplies to be self-sufficient for two weeks after a disaster. For more information about earthquakes in Washington, visit mil.wa.gov preparedness. Be sure to follow us on social media. Stay up to date on all the cool events, stories, photos, and videos happening around the Washington National Guard. If you have a question, have a comment, or just want to say hi, send us a DM, PM, tweet at us, whatever, and we'll answer you. We also love to share and collaborate. Send us the photos or videos you take at Drill or AT, and we'll tag you. Are you an active Instagrammer? Well, you might be a perfect candidate to take over our account. Send us a message, and we'll set something up. To find us, do a search for WA National Guard. That's WA National Guard, and look for the blue check mark. All right, so today... I am joined by Joe. Hey, what's up? And the leadership for the 81st Striker Brigade Combat Team, Colonel Paul Sellers and Command Sergeant Major Carter Richardson. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. All right, sir, we'll start off with you. If you could just give us a little back brief on your history in the military. No problem. Yes, I'm a career guardsman, so I enlisted in the National Guard back in uh, 1992 while I still lived in Minnesota. And I was enlisted for about three years and was told I heard about ranger school and that uh, as an enlisted guy, it was hard to get ranger school. So I was like, well, then make me an officer. So I became, I went to OCS down at Fort Benning, uh, went to IOBC and ranger school, got back, uh, finished my last year of college. And I grew up out here in Washington, so I couldn't wait to get back. Um, I heard there was special forces out here, so I immediately signed up to do that. I spent a year in the 3rd Battalion, 161 Infantry, before it was uh, stood down. So I spent a year there as a, as a platoon leader, um, working with the Bradleys while I went, got ready for the SF training. Did uh, SF training in 98, 99, 2000. Uh, actually went to Field Artillery Advanced Course as an infantryman, which was kind of a tough, uh, tough slog. They didn't really prepare me for it. but For, uh, for the math? Yes. They're like, oh, you're just going to do MDMP. It's not a big deal. You don't have to know gunnery. Right. And the first seven weeks was manual gunnery. So, yeah, I was <laughs> behind the power curve on that. But it was it was a lot of fun and a good learning experience. And looking back on it, it was a, a, a good, well-rounding type experience. Um, then I went through the all the SF training out at Fort Bragg, uh, came back, didn't know what I wanted to do on the civilian side. And September 11th happened like a couple months later. So I was like, I think I know what I'll be doing for the next uh, – period. So for the next five years, I was gone about four of the next five years just doing SF stuff, uh, a couple deployments to Iraq for the invasion, uh, and then right to Afghanistan right after that. And then uh, 
came back and worked some uh, jobs, contract jobs with the State Department in Africa and Southeast Asia. And uh, so I got to do a lot of traveling for a, a few years and then uh, went to Afghanistan again as a contractor and then came back and realized I needed to kind of spend some time at home at least. And uh, actually I picked up a um, temporary AGR job at uh, Central Washington University teaching ROTC. So I was an APMS out there, loved it had gotten married, so it was a good opportunity to kind of settle things down and, uh, and, and raise a family. And that's how I got into the AGR program. And I, I got into recruiting uh, on the full-time side, and I was still you know, in and out of the SF community with the SF company. I took the SF company command position. We took the company to the Philippines and to Korea. Um, and it had been several years since the, the whole B team had gone and deployed overseas. Uh, so that was a good experience, and then uh, spent time in 96 Troop Command uh, and M-Day within SOD-P, the Special Operations Detachment Pacific, uh, for a few years. Came back to the 81st as a battalion commander with uh, one of the 161, which was an awesome opportunity. And uh, that opportunity got cut short because SOD-P needed to deploy to Afghanistan, so I came back a little early from my battalion command time to take command of SOD-P, got promoted into that position went to Afghanistan in 2019 from uh, May to November and uh, got back from that a little early to take command of the brigade and that's where I'm at today. All right. And with all that, his most difficult challenge is having four daughters. Yes. So he will, I having a daughter now, I know that don't struggle of one and you have a daughter so you yep. have the struggle of one. So four is My best friend is one of four different. and her dad could not be happier than to have all four of his girls yeah, all the time. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. yeah. Sergeant Major. All right. Um, name's Carter Richardson. I currently serve as the Command Sergeant Major for the 81st Striker Brigade Rifle Team, or Combat Team, Cascade Rifles. Uh, I grew up in Renton, Washington, so I'm a son of Washington. Uh, lived here my entire life, with the exception of uh, my time in the regular Army. So I joined in 1991 as an armor crewman. I went to Germany, where I served with the 3rd Infantry Division on the shortest enlistment available, because I wasn't really sure and wasn't ready to commit. So. Three years of that, came home, used my college money, got an education, uh, joined the Washington Army National Guard from the time that I got out of the regular Army. So as I was going to school, I was able to take advantage of all the education benefits, uh, got a job in commercial construction, uh, did that for a period of seven years, got married during that time frame. And September 11th happened shortly after I got married and the industry that I was in kind of went in a downturn and I was recruited into the AGR program at the same time so was fortunate enough to come in and do that. Been in the AGR program ever since where I've served in a variety of leadership positions since being in the Washington Army National Guard, uh, mostly in uh, cavalry or infantry organizations with a short stint in the G3. Uh, so platoon sergeant time in the armor field then transitioned to the reconnaissance field and then moved into the wonderful world of the infantry as I became a more senior NCO. So that's the short version. Awesome. Perfect. Married with no children. Well, look at you. Yeah. Living the dream. You can't, <laughs> you can't spend all of your formative years overseas when you're supposed to be having children. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So I guess the first thing is what is the 81st Striker Brigade Combat Team? All right. So we are... Uh, we are a, an infantry brigade organized around the striker combat vehicle, our infantry carrier, if you will. 
Um, you've all seen them running around, no big mystery right there, but basically we are a, a truck-equipped light infantry brigade. We have the organization and weapons of everything you see with uh, any other infantry brigade in the Army, but our movement medium is uh, via the striker platform. And we, you know, in a direct fight, we try to integrate them a little bit, but it's not really a fighting vehicle. So we're, we identify as an, as an infantry unit. Yeah, Anything to add, sir? <laughs> no, I think uh, I didn't. I don't have that definition memorized, but it's you know we refer to the strikers as trucks for the most part because right. that's kind of how we we look at them. It's a it's it's a it's a vehicle that gets you can move you over operational distances to get you to the fight so that you can dismount. And uh, I, I remember in the definition, it's it's got 52 gallon tank, so it can get you over 300 miles which it covers that operational distance and it's got some firepower to help with support by fire but it's not a it's not a fighting vehicle per se it's not meant to take hits per, i guess yeah, it's yes. definitely not confusing yeah. it with mobile protected firepower right you know so we we have three organic infantry battalions a field artillery battalion a robust engineer capability very robust sustainment capability all some would argue not to robust enough but the strength of the formation is the 108 infantry squads and 120 command launch units for the Javelin anti-tank missile. And I was going to add before you said that, uh, yeah, you've got the 1st Battalion and 3rd Battalion, 161st Infantry Regiment, 246, Field Artillery, the 181, the 898. Then you also have units down in Oregon and California. Correct, correct sir. Yes, sir. Yes, we have the 182 CAV, so our CAV squadron is in, in uh, Oregon, and the 1st of the 185 Infantry is our 3rd uh, Maneuver Battalion down in California. So for those that aren't really kind of familiar with how the brigade structure works, especially with a shared brigade, how does that work between the Oregon and California Guard? You guys have, like, operational control of those units when it comes to mobilizations on the federal side, but they still control them at the state level for state emergencies. That's correct. Yes, for the most part, we, we have training and ready site, training and readiness oversight for all of our subordinate formations. I mean, we kind of partner with their, their organic resourcing commands in Oregon. In California, but the, the understanding is that we we are all on the same training path or path to resourcing, however you want to call it, for employment. So, so the bosses, without a doubt, driving that training. So they, and they keep you us, their annual sort of. Yeah, yeah. We brief. keep we keep uh, regular touch points with them. Uh, in fact, I know one hour ago, an hour and fifteen minutes ago, uh, the battalion commander for 185 just had a, a sit down conversation with one of their uh, generals down in California about what commitments is California going to make for them for the upcoming NTC rotation that they're going to do in next July and then the subsequent uh, Poland mission that they're going to do uh, next year as well. So I'll get some feedback from him on that and that the, the information I get from them helps us drive, you know, what does that, you know, what's that mean for our, our BEB, squ you know, squad or platoon that's going to be assigned to them? What's that mean for the FA battery that's right. going to be assigned to them? So it, even though we're spread out across huge distances, um, we really maintain close contact because everything everything we do at the brigade headquarters in some way will impact folks across three states. So we have to keep in, in good communications in order to keep that straight. Awesome. Yeah, so um, I've, I've spent a minute or two in the brigade as enlisted and then as an officer, um, just kind of thinking back to the first MOB of 03, 04, and really 05, you know, that little train up at the end of 03, and I think you were probably on that same mobilization. And so I don't think you were there at that time. I think you were already gone to, like, the SF. 
I had I was actually in Iraq and Afghanistan. When I came back from Afghanistan, you guys had just left. And actually, I was on ADOS orders with uh, General Doherty. He was Colonel Doherty at the time. He was the rear deck commander. And so I was actually all of your late deployers, myself, and about seven or eight other SF guys kind of ran the uh, three-week training program to get them up to speed so that they kind of knew and were ready once they got into Iraq, into theater, that they could uh, support you guys and kind of have their feet underneath them a little bit better so they could get some better perspective before getting into theater. Yeah. And Nowadays, so, we call yeah. that flattening the curve. <laughs> <laughs> not, to, not to go with flattening the curve of COVID, right? <laughs> yes. Um, but it, it uh, kind of reminds me, like, the brigade has been around now over 90 years in the state, and, and, and really it can touch all the way back to even the early guard, you know, with the 161, the first Washington rifles. Um, kind of been a guy who's jumped back and forth in the brigade. Um, what's kind of your take on the history of where we're at now with the striker platform having gone from Bradley's and Abrams to now a striker and kind of moving forward and what you see, sir, is kind of the vision moving forward with the brigade? Oh, boy. So, you know, uh, the brigade in our 100-year history has, has deployed multiple times. Uh, you, I know you knew it was a centennial year last yes, year. Yes, that's but true. That's true. Former MICO commander here. <laughs> the... Uh, you know, it, we've gone through a, a myriad of transitions throughout that time frame based on kind of what the nation needed of us. Uh, for me personally, I think the, the current um, way we're configured is probably the best we could possibly hope for. You know, having the heavy equipment, the tanks, the Bradleys, it, it really, being a platform-centric organization, you're, you're really limited in what your training objectives are. And then you can't just go and do it anywhere. You, you know, the, the Abrams, it, you know, doesn't play well on the street. The, you, you can only go off-road at certain times, this, that, and the other thing. So it really constrained us on what we were able to do. And sometimes that's – some people love it. For other people, it's a little bit less interesting. I mean, so our current configuration allows us an enormous amount of flexibility. You know, our soldiers can do – the sky's the limit from air assault out of helicopters. We can run missions out of our armories where we're, we'll make a 100-mile road movement, you know, configure once we get into the tactical training area, you know, hit an objective or a combination of both. So – I, I really like the direction we're going. I think it gives us a really flexible, uh, you know, uh, something for the if, when when big army calls and needs us. You know, we, we're providing a, a relevant force. Both, I mean, I'm, you were there. You're tracking. Both times we've gone overseas, we have we have not uh, deployed with our organic equipment. So it, it's kind of hard to sell. Work real hard on these, uh, you know, le these attributes or these these skill set, and then when it's game time, we're going to play a different game. So. I like the way we're configured now. Uh, being a part of the striker enterprise has been phenomenal. There's nine SBTCs across the total force, you know, two in the National Guard, us and our brothers in Pennsylvania, and just being able to participate in this enterprise. They really welcomed us and made us feel uh, really close with our partners across the street. Yeah, and the whole striker community, you know, they, there's striker symposiums and uh, the striker warfighter forum is an, a venue, a couple of venues where we get to communicate with the other uh, striker leaders and uh, it, it really is a tight-knit community and everyone just wants to kind of help each other to include the uh, two CR guys out in out in Germany um, very helpful very friendly I can shoot any one of those leaders an email and they'll be like yeah come on over uh, one two was uh, did their NTC rotation they were gonna go two cycles before us before ours got canceled but they're like they opened up everything I, I went over to visit them and they gave me all kinds of SOPs and all their stuff. They was like, take whatever you want. You know, this is what, what's working for us. And, you know, cause that's one good thing about active duty is they've got a lot of institutional knowledge that sometimes we don't have. So being, being able to plug into that has been extremely helpful. So it gets us up to speed a whole lot faster. 
and it's really helped our staff at the brigade level especially because uh, it just it takes a lot of time for a brigade you know for things to trickle up to a, the brigade staff all the the institutional knowledge stuff about how things work so being able to kind of short circuit that and and go straight to a, a, a good answer and then make it if it's an active duty answer you just have to kind of make it fit for the guard so that that's uh it's been very helpful i'm sure that's helpful too when you have the active duty who just has more bodies available to do things and and maybe not the same problems as having the m-day guys not in not that they're not engaged but just not fully engaged all the time because they of course have civilian careers that they're doing in yeah and to have them be able to kind of jump in on right. a, on a product that maybe they just need to help tweak a little bit helps a lot and I, i've said this a couple times recently uh, one of the you know, I've been guard my whole career, but I've gone on lots of deployments and worked with a lot of active duty guys over the years. And, you know, active duty is really good at the institutional knowledge piece. You know, you just, you're a new guy, you get plugged in, here's the slide deck, just update it. Whereas the guard is like, we have no slide deck, so right. we have to invent one. So we are the kings of reinventing the wheel. And uh, sometimes that's great because it, it makes adaptive, you know, right. critical thinking leaders. But at the same time, you can waste time when time is critical on trying to figure out what the right answer is when you could have just fallen in on it. A lot of building the plane while you yeah. fly it. And, and I think one of the strengths of the brigade, and, and even you know down into the unit level, is you do have that that knowledge that people bring from the civilian side that may not be infantry or artillery or logistics. They may be doing something completely different, but they bring their knowledge level into the guard and they bring them into your formation, and it almost makes it a little bit better because you're seeing it from a multitude of perspectives at that point. Yeah, I agree. Awesome. Well, what is the vision for the future? That's a big question. Um, of course, everyone knows we've, you know, the, the big things we have right now are, you know, we have for Washington one mode, but for, uh, uh, well, one full task force, and then we've got bits and pieces that'll be applied to two MOBs um, to Europe. So the 185 and 3rd Battalion 161 will both be going to the Enhanced Forward Presence Poland mission. So 3rd Battalion first, and then right after that, uh, 185 will, will follow them. But we've got you know an entire FA battery assigned to each, uh, and each one of those has to do an NTC rotation prior to their deployment. So even though we've been trying to fundamentally reset the brigade with uh, how we see the training and preparation leading up to things like what we did for the last three years, you know, from the time I was a battalion commander until NTC got canceled, everything was about NTC. Right. And the op tempo was huge, you know, and now we're trying to reset that and uh, provide a, a better level of predictability for, for drills and AT for all of our soldiers. Um, but at the same time, you still have big things you got to do. NTC and MOBs, those are big deals. And, you know, it takes a lot of staff energy to make that stuff happen. It takes a lot of soldiers' uh, coordination, you know, officers and enlisted all working together to make sure that, you know, everything flows and gets completed in a timely manner and all that. So, you know, when I look at my leadership here, and, and I've known before I took command that my command was going to be limited. It always is at every at every level. So... You know, what I wanted to be able to bring to the table was provide some level of predictability, do some fundamental changing of how we see the training and preparation and make it, you know, so that it basically so that it fits into the CG's overall six tenets. You know, that soldier, soldier first, soldier centric piece is, is huge. You know, the brilliance in the basics, 
how do we train our soldiers valuing their time so that uh, they can meet all the objectives that we need in order for those two units to deploy. And then, of course, the other battalions, they'll be doing the exact same thing, but they don't have that, that huge uh, mobilization at the, at the end of the stick. But, uh, you know, to be able to give them um, good guidance to set them in motion and then train my subordinates, basically train my replacement. Somebody's going to be my replacement. Make sure that, you know, do I have, am I laying things in line for the brigade so that when I leave and someone else takes the reins, that the, the brigade is going to continue to succeed. And that's, you know, that's what I want to do. Yep. So taking that kind of foundational guidance of where the boss sees us going as an organization, you know, trying to get our subordinate leaders as we're, as we're making our day-to-day -day plans and things, you know, our requirements that we have to attend to, you know, how, how are we going to structure these events with the, the really high level of skill that we have requisite in the brigade right now based off the just incredible op tempo we've had over the last three years? You know, that, that came out at a cost, as everybody knows. You know, people have had to leave our formations because they've had to choose, you know, it, I need more time with my family, I need time in my career. So how are we going to structure these events to where, you know, a, a guy or gal, a soldier can come into our organization, they can be a commander, they can be a senior leader in our organization, and they can still have a meaningful career. They can still accept promotions. They can still attend to their uh, civilian schooling, any transition they're in in life, whether it's having children, starting a family. You know, it, this model is not sustainable unless we can actually create an environment where they can serve, not to the detriment of everything else in their life. And that's that's what I hope my time here that I'll be able to influence. Yeah, and I, I want to add, and I mean, having been a company grade officer in the brigade for a few years, um, there's always this like stigma, well, you jump into the brigade, you're never getting out, they're going to keep you in there, and they're never going to let you go. And that's not even close to the truth. Having seen it firsthand, you know, if you're, you as an officer, and, and sir, you I were one of the people that told me about this, even in ROTC, was you kind of dictate where your career is going to go. You drive that train how you want it to be. And I think that stigma is kind of gone now because you do see officers and enlisted both jumping in and out of the brigade now. They spend a little bit of time there, get that tactical knowledge, that experience level, and they jump back to a unit like the 341st with a mic, and we have a lot of changeover. Um, you see a lot of folks coming into the I.O., and they're taking that tactical knowledge they learned in the brigade and applying it into the information warfare now in the I.O. And so you're seeing that crossover more, and I think that just makes them better rounded. Even. I agree, and it's really kind of disappointing also that NTC got canceled because we had a you know a little over 200 people from the rest of the other MSCs come and augment the brigade for the purposes of NTC and the feedback I got from almost well from every MSC and almost to a soldier that was attached to us that they appreciated the time and, and the, how well we treated them in the time that we did have them for the train up and uh, so yeah it just kind of feeds into that also hey you know it's not I don't, that stigma is probably gone. You know, there there are some great opportunities for folks in other MSCs to to round out their experiences in the brigade, because still an SBCT that is like the fundamental building block of any operation that we're that the country is going to call us to do. You know, uh, there's all you know, there's niche things all over at the theater level and all this kind of stuff that that we participate in every year, which is great. But it it all everything we do supports if we need to go somewhere and do something the the foundation building block is going to be an sbct whether it's an ibct sbct or abct mm -hmm. that brigade combat team is the the focal point so it's nice that we have one of those here in the state so the more interaction we have with the other mscs and people can kind of see that 
Uh, they're going to learn about it when they go to ILE and, you know, captain's career course and all that. I mean, that, so it, to have that in the resident in the state is a, is a great attribute. So you guys basically already talked about your vision and everything that you said really incorporates what we just spoke to General Dent and Sergeant Major Honeycutt about with the, his big six tenants. And they really went in depth in our last podcast um, that we just released. And so I guess I wonder how you guys are taking their tenants and nesting that under your philosophy and actually putting those words into action. It's a good question. Um, well, I can tell you that Yes, we, we've bought into the hook, line, and sinker, um, and we tried, it was, for me personally, I, I was like, okay, that stuff fits neatly into my own philosophy anyway on, on how I like to lead. So it was easy for me and Sergeant Major to go, okay, we totally buy into this, now let's just set up the way we do things so that it's, it works for the soldier. Um, and then you start to hear back from the ground up, you know, hey, the brigade made a decision to do X. That's not soldier first. I'm like, okay, so they're even at the ground level. They they understand. Hey, right. I understand that maybe this decision was had good intentions, but the second or third order effects is not good for the soldier. So that that bubbles up, and when you start to see that bubble up from the ground up, you start to see that it it has permeated all the way down, and um, you know with our and it started with our commander's readiness guidance that the sergeant major and I put together which was, goes back to that kind of the fundamental change on how we're looking at the training as we move forward. Uh, that was all, I had the CG take a look at it uh, before I you know, published it out to the brigade. I was like, hey boss, this is, this is how I see the brigade nested in, under your six tenets. Um, he's, his feedback was like, that's spot on, I like it. So I published that and uh, with a little bit of nervousness that hey, this is a little bit different um, you know, plus, we got these big things that we also have to train for. Well, how do you train effectively for that and still be soldier first, soldier centric, brilliance right. and basics, and you know, discipline initiative with commander's intent and all that? So, um, yeah, we bought in early and uh, and are just headlong in it. Yeah. So for me, I mean, soldier first. Uh, every decision we make, we try to, to view it from the lens of how does this affect the soldier and their family? You know, whether it's schooling whether it's what days they need to be present for training. I mean, do they have to choose between there's a, a seminal event in their life that they want to participate in or, you know, when can we plug them back in to get them caught up with the rest? Uh, Soldier-centric, you know, uh, we're kind of getting away from our big-ticket items. We're trying to make investments in uh, individual soldier equipment and professional education, anything we can do to make it interesting and really the, the foundational building block, the soldier and the squad, that's where we want to focus our energy. So if, instead of going out and buying five million dollars worth of blow-up tents you know we're going to try and get them a better plate carrier a better rucksack right simple little things right clothes make the soldier so they say you know brilliance in the basics uh, to me how uh, how our my peer group has defined that is you know we're going to pick up high payoff you know key collective tasks that are small unit centric and that just depends on your field of endeavor where you're whether you're a cannoneer whether you're a maintainer whether you're a sustainer or whether you're an infantry squad what are, what are these what are these little small events where the staff sergeant or the sergeant have the 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 opportunity to really demonstrate what they're doing as a squad leader or prove themselves, validate themselves, certify themselves, pick a right word, uh, what they're doing at, at Echelon. And then uh, leader development, plugging them into those events where people, you know, we're, we're struggling, we're not struggling, but we have, we have a big bill to pay for these deployments. So we're going to get a great opportunity to leave people in some, maybe a, a, they're going to grow great up in their 
position and they're going to get the opportunity to demonstrate that they can perform that duty and hopefully they'll get promoted on the back end of it or we're going to get them into different training events we're going to get them to schools i mean as, as a guardsman you really have to kind of yeah you have to rely on the institutional army to as part of your leader de development just based on how much bandwidth an organization has right. so getting people into those schools or getting them plugged into different exercises and again with our partners next door we have we have an open door into paycom all the time we can get people all kinds of great experiences um you know disciplined initiative with intent you know if they understand the boss you know it's it's getting them he, they know what he wants and then it's just a matter of finding the the risk real risk balance between what risk that that leader is doing at their echelon versus what you know colonel sellers is going to have to freaking underwrite for them yeah and then what's the last one building winning units you know with the help of the PAOs and some of the other people, we're gonna we're gonna continue to brand brand ourselves in our gonna, Instagram page. We're gonna, we're gonna get uh, yeah, we're gonna get social media savvy. As as you all know, I'm a digital immigrant. I was born left in 1985, so this stuff isn't uh, intuitive for me. I'm very comfortable in the human space, but the digital space is is challenging. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, we we want people to want to be a member of our team, and then let them know no matter what, we have their best interests in heart. So, you know, when the time comes for the Myco commander to go to the 341st, our I pick a thing where you know we support them and trying to build the best leader for the Washington Army National Guard. Perfect. I mean, I've spent a lot of time with 81st Brigade units. My she never last brings two a jacket. I'm from Minnesota and I just don't get cold. Um, It'll never end. You'll always hear that. Until you leave. Um, and. I will say that my favorite thing about going out to the training, especially with the striker platoons and companies, is seeing lieutenants getting the option, to, well, not the option. The They're able to fail, right, in a safe environment at training and get the feedback and then try again, which I think as a senior leader now um, in the reserve side, I think that's really a great opportunity for those lieutenants. Uh, and I don't know that everybody gets that option when they're a lieutenant anymore because the, the Army now is very, like, you know, high, be a high performer always or and leave. Extremely risk-averse. Yes, very risk-averse. That's just not practical. We, I mean, we, we learn, I think all of us learn more from our mistakes than from our successes. So, you know, providing an environment where that, where that young, young leader gets the, they get the repetitions and then it's, a, it's a, just a journey of self-discovery. Well, <laughs> and when you have a, a young infantry lieutenant who has a platoon of strikers and maybe needs the visual of how it all comes together to see how it can succeed or fail. I think that that's really important, especially for a combat arms type yeah, unit. You would be hard pressed to find any other organization other than the, the striker rifle company where either the company commander or the lieutenant has that third element. You know, they're used to maneuvering their squads. They're used to their organic gun teams on the ground. And now you have this, this free floating electron that, you know, really it weighs heavily on the fight on how you employ it. You know, it can either be a big multiplier or it can detract your operation by you you know, not recognizing the probable line of contact and dismounting in the appropriate spot, and now you've pulled yourself into where you lost the initiative because you're trying to protect Mother Striker as opposed to taking it to the enemy. Yeah, but that's just a compliment to uh, the 81st as a whole because of all of the trainings that I've been out on, I do see them giving the leader development and the brilliance and the basics sort of at the same time by letting these junior officers yeah, I'll, let me. I want to put a plug in for, uh, with respect to the the junior leaders, <coughs> is. I see the value that the parallel between what you just said and their ability to to get in there and fail, and to be able to, 
and I see it on, especially on a drill weekend, how do you pound 15 pounds of stuff into a 10-pound bag? And for our junior leaders, especially our second lieutenants in the infantry, it's ranger school. Sending them to ranger school, it's not striker-centric, but what it teaches them is how do I think two, three, four steps ahead? Right. Because what are the decisions I make now or what I'm allowing to happen right now in my platoon is either going to set me up for success or it's going to set me up for failure. And when you're in that super, super stressful environment, and I think maybe looking back at my career, that still might have been more stressful than any other time in my life, and I've been a lot of places, um, that sets them up so that on a drill weekend, you kind of hit – you. You, you shake the civilian off right. you for drill weekend and you go in there and you just snap back into, you're not going to snap fully back into ranger school mode, right. but you, you know that, Hey, we got to maintain a tempo here. We got to drive through this. Even if we fail, we can st- you know reset, start over again and do it again. But that platoon leader needs to be thinking a couple steps ahead. Yeah. And uh, the better they get at that, the better drills are going to look, uh, the more effective training you're going to have. They'll, they'll be able to articulate well their assessments of how well they're doing um so yeah i i know we've just recently graduated a couple uh guys from ranger school but i even the guys that don't make it back with a tab it's invaluable training for them yeah for sure i don't think i have anything else uh, i mean i was just going to kind of switch over i mean being the biggest bill payer in the state and oh, the, most, yes. the most soldiers in the state thank you for recognizing that <laughs> um <laughs> We, we, we'd be we'd the be ones, the ones that get we, the most airtime. Yeah, we'd be missed if we didn't talk about the state the state activations and the state emergencies. Oh, I know yes, you guys have got that's a, a sure. heavy load right now with COVID going out there. Uh, the recent civil unrest. A lot of the members that were in that were from the 81st Brigade, and we were just talking previously. I mean, fires of 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18 was heavy on the brigade. Um, I mean, really a lot of missions. Um, so that's something I think we always need to remember too is that in the guard. It, it's not just the federal mission, it's also the state mission, and the 81st pays the bill a lot. Yeah, and I couldn't be more proud of the way they responded for the civil disturbance. Um, everything from the initial muster through actions on, you know, s- supporting the Seattle Police Department, Tacoma, Spokane, uh, King County, a bunch of uh, municipality law enforcement agencies, their ability to adapt, and this goes back to what I was just saying about leader development, you know, their ability to, to adapt, and I was in a unique position as the J3 for domestic operations and the brigade commander. I'd see my guys coming through the reception station. And I'm like, okay, you, you're going to be in charge when you get up there, and I need you to grab four high-speed dudes, and you need to, here's, your, here's what I need you to do when you get there. And I said, and here's my phone. You know, of course, they got my, my commanders all have my phone number. I was like, call me up when you got any questions, but you talk to this guy. He'll tell you what he expects of you, but I need you on, on the Army side to do all these things. And uh, their ability to just take a fluid environment like that and adapt and provide some commit level of command and control and consistency for the soldiers below them. I mean, it was totally chaotic to begin with. Nobody's pushed that many people into both the train-up and uh, deployment of soldiers, I think, since Mount St. Helens erupted. So... It's yeah, it was huge movement. Um, so I'm yeah, I'm super impressed. I'm happy with all the mid-level leaders and all the soldiers that just you know because I understand it, the soldiers. He's at the end of the pendulum, and I tried to main you know from the joint operations center. I tried to impress that upon all of our our planners and decision makers that you know they're at the end of the pendulum. We're just up at the top. If we don't give enough clear guidance on what the expectations are, 
everyone in between is going to start whipping this thing back and forth. And, uh, and to some degree, that's still, it's always going to happen. But, uh, you know, we tried to do our best to make sure that the soldier, even if they didn't know exactly what was going on, they knew what they were going to do. And without understanding the full context, uh, but they were going to go up, they were going to link up with the police department and they were going to provide, you know, uh, facility security and, uh, you know, augment the Seattle police department, uh, as needed. So, and that they would get further guidance from the police department once they, once they onboarded and made their connections with them. So yeah, they did an outstanding job. Yeah. Where, where were we coming back from when this all came? Was it the JA or was it NTC? I think we're down at NTC, right? So yes, we were down at NTC yeah, so doing a visit. you that don't know, Colonel Sellers had just returned from Afghanistan. Whole world's gone to heck in a handbasket since he's been back, but we're not sure that there's any correlation. <laughs> but anyway, the gods of war may, may or may not be upset. So he came in, took command. We, we had just a nonstop itinerary of travel, which is, I'm sure Miss Joanna appreciated that because, but he had a big bill to pay. She was ready for it. So went down to California to observe, uh, was it uh, Ghost, right? Down mm-hmm. in NTC. And the when we were leaving S- Seattle, all this COVID stuff is blowing up and we're kind of confused in the airport. Like, what is happening right now? Then we get to California, and it was like being on a different planet. It wasn't really a thing. So we kind of shrugged it off, came home, and we're going into a drill weekend, and it's like everything is shutting down. We're just stopping everything, cancel everything. You know, so I, I personally was befuddled. I didn't know what to do, so I kind of, you know, took it all in. And then uh, I was fortunate enough to have all of the sergeants majors in the brigade were up for something. We had a meeting with the seven across the street. So we all kind of went into a room, and I was like, hey, man, I, I think this is going to go sideways. You know, we're, we're at a crossroads here. Those things you talked about in past, you know, our reputation of, of maybe not having soldiers' best interests at heart and always being mission first. I was like, you know, we, the decisions we make in the next seven days really are going to define us for a, a long, long time. So, you know, we need to make sure that we're, we're following these tenets, so we're going to make decisions. You know, we're not going to make soldiers choose between having an at-risk family member and coming to IDT and all these other things. So I, I'm really proud of how our entire team has, has uh, adapted to those. And then, you know, it turned out to be a, a blessing for some soldiers that were furloughed immediately, whether they're a Boeing employee or different industries. They were able to – we have 700 – at our high point, I think we had 708, you know, teammates that were out in the food banks doing those type of things for the COVID response. We kind of trended down to about 539 as people were able to start to return to work. And then, you know, the, the stuff in Minnesota happened, and, and that kind of – changed our directions a little bit so it was a struggle when you know you have your easy button of soldiers that are always available when you need them for guard duty that 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 resource has been consumed already so we we really had to go back to the fountain and say hey you know i know ntc's cancel we're going to slow down but we we really need you and with, i mean the we got the call for civil disturbance i may have been on a saturday with my wife at a semi-sanctioned barbecue event where i was getting ready to have my first adult beverage for the day and my phone text you know beep saying hey we're bringing all the MACDIS soldiers I was like wow they said they wouldn't do that unless the world was going to end what's going on and so I you know called my buddy in the Seattle Police Department he's like yeah they're on the highway and that's you know that's kind of the trigger for they've lost the key terrain in town and they need help so from first note I mean I'm the brigade CSM so I don't think too many people got word before I did at 1430 and by by 1100 you know we had 200 dark rifles and Highlanders up on the on the line in uh, Westlake Center, you know, fully equipped, ready to go. So, I mean, it was really astounding. I mean, that's what's the flash to bang on that nine hours, eight hours? Yeah. And, and it's we're just amazing. And none of us were, this was not a thing. I, and no part when I left the office Friday did I think, hey, it's going to go down this weekend. I mean, yeah, there was no indication. <laughs> I was so. surprised. Yeah. So they, they did amazing. And, uh, 
Yep. And it just goes to show when, you know, when we published our commander's readiness guidance for FY21 and we're trying to fundamentally change the way we look at training and, and trying to look through the, the lens of the six tenants, then you, your fundamental change just got fundamentally changed by all these <laughs> things that just happened, you know, and you just have to deal with them and, and be flexible and then then get back, you know, to reset and, and, and get back on track. So um, it's hard to do when, you know, the rest of this fiscal year, you know, we've pretty much burned through everything in NTC prep now with uh, COVID and, and civil disturbance. So, yeah, it's time to start providing. And, you know, we got the battalions will be coming in this next week to brief back their FY21 plans and just show how we're going to get back to, you know, something that's uh, sustainable and, and predictable. I know for us, we're ready. We're, we're ready for we're excited to talk wildland fires <laughs> and the earthquake. Yeah. And yeah, it'll be predictable until it isn't. Erupt. So the yeah. next the next big thing that comes up, we'll we'll just have to deal with it. We're just ready for whatever 2020 has to throw at us, I guess. Yeah. But we are definitely ready for things to get back to a uh, more normal schedule of events, for sure. So I think the last question I got, and it, it actually comes from Twitter, which is crazy to think, and it was actually a lot during the civil uh, disturbance. Um, the photo they see is, is obviously a second ID patch on. And so um, we haven't hit on the uh, on the um, associate unit program. Or, yeah, associate unit so, program. Yeah, the, so if you want to talk that. So the associated – boy, I'm talking a lot, sir. Sorry. Yeah, no, so no, it's no. well documented. There's nothing Sergeant Major's more in love with than his own voice, <laughs> other than Mrs. Richardson, but that's fine. <laughs> So uh, the you know they we went into this, so two things happened to the brigade when we transitioned from uh, armor brigade to a striker brigade. The the nation decided they needed to have a, an enhanced readiness for their armor brigade combat teams and their striker brigade combat teams. So we got lumped into that. So they formed as along with the special operations community, they it called urgent readiness or urgent category unit. So with that became a, a lot of extra training requirements, and during that same time frame we uh, we fell under the associated unit pilot program, I think, which General Milley was the chief of staff army at the time. So we uh, aligned for training and readiness oversight with the 7th Infantry Division, and that's kind of the partnership that's endured. That program twilighted in 2021, but they were already doing our NTC rotation, et cetera, as the, as the kind of a blended senior trainer between uh, General Grennan and uh, General Brunson. Brunson, yes. And, uh, so as part of that, we we we've start we've started a new program that is an old program, the Total Force Partnership. So we are still aligned. The two brigades in the program, the 48th in Georgia with the 3rd Infantry Division, the 81st Striker Brigade here in uh, Washington with the 7th ID across the street. And so really they just changed the header and everything else has remained the same. So we haven't repatched, uh, generally speaking, they're saying that a lot of the uh, – all of the brigade subordinate 7th Infantry Division are going to go to the uh, the hourglass. I mean, when the TAG and General Brunson sit down and finally make the final decision of what we're going to do, we'll either have the uh, the old Raven patch back on or we'll retain whatever is next on the horizon. But for us, it's been a, a phenomenal uh, experience. I mean, none of the increased op tempo had anything to do with AUP. That was all based off of a, of a big Army requirement or, a, you know, our nation's needs. Um, everybody remembers what happened on the peninsula and the other things that were going on. So, I mean, it was a valid need at that point. It's kind of reduced. We're trying to get back to normal now, but that didn't really increase our requirements. What it did is it opened up a lot of doors that weren't available for us before with a partnership. You know, we've he's, uh, the boss has spoken about the different leader development opportunities that those things have created for us. But just the simple thing of being where we deconflict with them internally for our, our ranges, you know, 
we can get into schools on JBLM that we always struggled with before. So for, for me, it's it's been just great, and I, I'm really happy with how the program has, has been going. Yeah, and then the other small piece about the with respect to the patching is uh, 7th ID is also kind of going through they're a TDA right now, but I think they're going to transition to an MTOS, which was which will instigate. Hey, all the patches instead of being second ID could be the the hourglass seventh ID patch. So we're just if we if we made a decision tomorrow to switch to the the Raven patch, then the decision would be made all of a sudden to switch to seventh ID. If we choose to do seventh ID, then they'll make the decision. You know, so we're just kind of holding our holding pattern, find out what uh, what's going to happen with that. And that, in my mind, that's kind of small things i'm not too concerned about the patch that we wear you know the unit that we have is a is a great unit regardless of what patch we're wearing yeah perfect awesome i don't think i have anything else so thank you very much i appreciate the time thank you for having us